So exciting news, Brian. Sports are back. Sports. Wow. Sports are back. And to be smarter about sports and to get really great in-depth coverage of not only the Brooklyn Nets, but any baseball, basketball, football, soccer. There's sometimes tennis articles, golf. Go to theathletic.com slash glue guys, and you can receive a 40% off annual subscription to The Athletic. The best part about The Athletic is you get so many different layers of stories within that. It's a pretty inexpensive subscription, particularly when you get in at 40% off. You get NBA draft stories from San Vicini, some of the best stuff. And then you get uh, really in-depth pieces. I don't know if you saw this, Brian, but there was an amazing piece by Chris Kirshner, who covers the Atlanta Hawks for The Athletic. He went to Magic City to eat the famous Lou Will lemon pepper wings that wow. Lou Williams busted out of quarantine. I mean, he went, you know, partly why Lou Will was put back to attend a quarantine was because he discovered eating these wings. Chris Kirshner wrote about those wings, and it is one of the better stories I've ever read because he sat in a surf club to eat chicken wings and really got down deep and wrote about why these wings are special. And I really appreciate it. So you could I'm read that story. That now. It's called It's the Magic Baby. Lee Williams was right about Magic City's wings. It makes me want to like, take a quick trip. I want to yeah. I want to go down. The picture of the wings, these like neon, it's got like wings under a stripper, sort of like red red light district vibe. It's nice. That looks good. Yeah. Okay. So if you want to read that story, and I mean, obviously there's more than just chicken wing stories, but if you want to read that story, go to theathletic.com slash glue guys, get 40% off. And also what it does is it, it lets the bosses know at The Athletic that our show has an impact, I guess. And that's good. We want to be impactful. Coming up on today's show, Brian and I are going to fully debrief after the three scrimmages in Orlando that your Brooklyn Nets played. We're going to talk about the good, the bad, and the beautiful. We don't go ugly. We go beautiful. Welcome back to the Glue Guys. This is Mike here. Say hello, Brian. Hello. Check us out on Twitter at BKGlueGuys, NetsDaily.com, The Athletic. Again, as I said before, if you want to get 40% off an annual subscription to The Athletic, go to TheAthletic.com slash GlueGuys. And five stars. We want them. We need them. We really, we just have to have them. iTunes. Go to that. It's great. Mm. Brian. We do like that. The Nets are back. Mike, we watched basketball. We haven't talked about any of this, but there was there was basketball. I I was worried that it wouldn't look like basketball. You know, when I do you ever have that feeling? Sometimes, like yes. I forgot remember, what basketball I, looked like. <laughs> it felt like I, I remember, like I think it was after our second trip to the finals in two thousand three that we had. You know, everyone left the team, and we had um, a shell of a team. And I remember in my child brain being like. Oh gosh, is this going to even look like? Ba- am I going to recognize it on TV when I see it? And I was like, "Ooh, oh, it looks like basketball." It always does, um, and it did. It did this time. Like it looked like basketball. And the best part about this bubble, scr- I mean, it was scrimmages, but actually the scrimmages felt pretty real. Yeah, yeah, those felt like games. They could have made them games. Should have just yeah, just make right them games. It. Yeah. But the Nets only won one of two. And I'll talk yeah, about, probably best. by the way, if you want a forty percent off annual scrimmage, athletic, go to the athletic.com. <laughs> John Hollinger. 
wrote about his nine most interesting uh, predictions for oh. for the bubble, Orlando bubble, and one of them was that the Wizards would make the playoffs, and your Brooklyn yeah. Nets would not, and that is intriguing. I'm gonna click on that now. I see it right here. But the basketball was pretty good. Sure, it was sloppy, but I think we're gonna say anything is sloppy after we there is a four month layoff leading into basketball. Like it's our natural reaction just to say it's sloppy. If those games were played with the exact same intensity during January, we wouldn't criticize them in any way. Um, it was fun basketball. And the thing that got me really excited, well, one, we just got a Woj tweet as we're recording, which is probably the most important thing that we could possibly be talking about, which is the NBA and the NBPA have announced the COVID-19 test results for this past week. And again, no return confirmed positive tests for many of the players who are in the bubble, which is nice bubble, which the bubble is maintaining. That is a, a bubbleicious bubble. That's a good bubble. Um, the basketball was like, it was just delightful. And I love that the games are happening one after the other all throughout the day. Very March madness feels very, those vibes are good. It doesn't feel as important. Sure. But there's scrimmages and we get to see Brody Karuks and Jared Allen and, not Jamal Crawford, but hey, what can you complain about? What stood out to you, Brian? Yeah, I'm trying to think, like, what are the things that we can take home with us, you know, from this whole experience? We're obviously playing with a, a skeleton squad. Um, <clears throat> and I just wanted to, like, think, what, what are the what are the real takeaways that we can we can pick up and put in our pocket and take into next season with us, Mike? Um, and the one for me that felt like a real takeaway is Rody at the five. Passes the eye test on a couple of levels. I actually think that that's a a, a real path forward for Cherboy. Um, he looks handsy in a way that I haven't seen him look handsy before. He also his uh, his hips look like they've gotten wider. Um, just you know, as, just to get back into my uh, obsessing about people's bodies. Um, yeah, so his legs and and hips are sort of like fitting the bill of a center position, which is. Um, I think very important, obviously. And just when he stands down there, he looks tall enough to be a center. Like, you know, how sometimes when people are just subbing out and they, they just conspicuously do not look like a center uh, on defense, he, he kind of does uh, pass that part of the eye test. But he, like, finally gets back to being fast and scrappy against fives. You know, he kind of, like, lost his ability to be fast and scrappy with this new bulk against uh, threes and fours. But now he's back in the scrappy game, you know? He gets to, like, do little, you know, he gets to go do... Th- 360, you know, you know, just trying to dig at the ball around the guy all all over the place. It's it's nice. I think it works for him. And it's a big deal that Rodion's is actually playing pretty well. I mean, he's shooting 67% from 3. Right. I doubt which will which will be going into next season. That'll be pretty high. That'll be a good percentage. <laughs> that would be that would be a, a powerful weapon if in fact he hit two out of every three threes. That would be, be good. good yeah. But like he's not going to do that, sure. But I think the things that that you describe is important. He's active, he seems confident, and Jacques Vaughn, your Nets interim head coach, maybe future head coach, though I have other thoughts, um, which I maybe have discussed before, Vaughn has really talked about he he believes confidence, instilling confidence in players is a big deal, which it should be a big deal for every coach, though if you go through like the history of the archetype of an NBA coach, most of them are like not nice dudes and grumpy guys and they like to make players feel bad <laughs> if they like don't do the Larry Brown archetype if you will the Tom Thibodeau the Tom Tibbs well Rody needed it was obvious our armchair psychologist 
Rhodey needed a little confidence boost, and he has that. Now, will that continue when they're playing real games? I don't know why it wouldn't. Like, why? Like, he seemed confident in the scrimmages, and he, I believe he will continue on to that confidence. I'm sure something could shake it, but it's a huge deal. This is the Rodion's Karuks that we saw middle of last season when he was inserted into the lineup and the team really took off. And the agent of change, Rodion's Karuks. That's a big deal because the Nets don't have Torian Prince, Kevin Durant, DeAndre Jordan, just uh, Michael Beasley, who was a Net. That uh, I will buy a Michael Beasley jersey at some. Would point. you call that a cup of coffee? Even is that even? Does that even? Is that <laughs> has that risen to the status of what, cup of coffee? It, it's like I, it, it's what's lower than a cup of coffee. It's like buying that's a, gum. That's from a stick. A that's a machine. stick of gum. Yeah, that's a stick of gum right there. Yeah, he just got a stick of gum. <laughs> they gave that's him the, a stick of gum, and and like not even a full stick, just like. The little yeah. ones that are harder, the dentine ice, maybe. Just like, <laughs> yeah, here's a dentine ice. Thanks for joining the team. Yeah. And then he's on his um, way. Sharif Abdurrahim had a, a notable stick of gum. You know what it really is, Brian? It's what? like when you're on the street and a guy asks you for a light. Ah, that is, and yeah. on brand for Michael Beasley to need right. that that loose light on the nice. street. That makes a loose light. Good. Um, but... It I yeah. Rody is the the headline of the three scrimmages. It's it's him playing to level he is, and I think the five thing is kind of okay. Like when they play Milwaukee in the first round, Rodian's crew yeah. the five will be like uh, it would be Tough. Schadenfreude yeah. for people who hate the Nets because it'll be the scariest <laughs> thing in the world. Well, because he's going to be going up against Brook Lopez for a lot of those minutes too, and that's gonna that's. That's too much. That's too big. You know, he can, he can, uh, I mean, like, that's why they didn't play him against Rudy, Rudy Gobert and he's, he was okay. Who's the backup center for Utah? I forget. Anyways, uh, he looked fine against that guy who was also like six, nine. So if, if they're too big, it's going to be a real problem because he is giving up a lot of size. That is a nice role though, to carve out, right? Where, cause Rody is tall enough to be a bench five, not to be a starter five, obviously, but to be a bench five. Cause like those bench units are typically, most teams don't both have, DeAndre Jordan and Jared Allen. And even like a Jared Allen type, Rodan Skarooks could like somewhat get in the way of, use his speed as a mismatch thing, use his activity as a mismatch. Where and and obviously like Rodion's was is a stretch four. And when we were first introduced to him in the NBA draft like five seasons ago, he was viewed more as a wing and he's slowly crept down, down, down to the post. I I really enjoy this. And I gotta give credit to Jacques Vaughn for I mean, it's a necessity to play him at the five. They're not playing Dante Hall yet. So you have to put someone there. And Marianne Skarouks is the tallest guy besides Jared Allen. You have to do it. But Jacques Vaughn deserves credit for being able to mold, quickly mold the the clay that is Marianne Skarouks into what he is. Now, the other big who is on the floor with the Nets has also been impressive, which is Jared Allen. Yeah, I actually kind of like the idea of like Kourouks being sort of a utility if you if you see a matchup where it works uh big for next season but like so the the way that i sort of see the the three big carousel here if deandre jordan talking about next year is there it's like he's much more of the potato big right he he's you put him on your biggest uh like your rudigo bears probably uh jared allen a step more mobile than jared uh, than deandre jordan you're giving up a little bit like more playmaking on the just a little bit more playmaking on the offensive side getting a little bit more finishing um and then like Kuroks is just this like, you know, wild card that you can throw out. If, if neither of those two things are working, if the matchup is truly screwed up and you're like against like PJ Tucker or something, um, then you can throw in your, your Rodion's Kuroks is just, just to chop things up. Um, I like that as a strategy. Yeah. And I wonder, so 
so much of the bubble thing for Orlando for these Nets is like, which guy is going to carve out the role for the team next year, right? Like everyone's basically auditioning to play with Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. We know some guys are definitely going to be on the team or Sean Marks would like to be like Sean Marks would like Joe Harris to be on the team, but depending on what he's going to get in free agency, Jared Allen may not because Jared Allen has a contract looming, but the Nets may decide we're going to keep Jared Allen for one more year and then make, then trade him away or do whatever you have to do. Use him at the deadline. That may be the case. Karis LeVert is the ultimate pivot point, but there is like the Chris Chioza, Rodion's Karuks, John and Musa, where I think the Nets are still going to target the Fox, the friends of Kevin's, and more the Wilson Chandlers, the more eight-year vets who have been around the league a bit and are accustomed to playing the role that they're playing in and aren't like desiring anything more from the spot that they're going to be, the Jared Dudleys of the world. But Rhodey has always been this guy. I mean, he's always just been an X-factor. He's always been the person at the end of the bench who you see is talented. There's potential there. Um, he was horrible this season. He was really good, surprising as a rookie. And this restart, he has looked really good. And, uh, you know, it, it, he would be, he is so cheap and he is so young. He's kind of valuable to have if you believe in him and believe in this version of him and not the one that was during the season. Um, I don't think he would ever be like, even next season, I don't imagine he'd be getting big minutes at all. But, like, it's nice to have a talented 6'10", you know, athlete that can shoot a little bit and do a little thing. Do I mean, what's been surprising is that his ball handling has been, like, he's been able to make quick decisions with the ball, which which shows an elevated level of game. It, it's funny, like, going into this, how, I mean, we'll still talk, you know, about expectations and all that stuff. But it's been exciting to see... It's been refreshing to get basketball back and be like, oh, yeah, we can find nice, beautiful nuggets of optimism from this team, even though going into it, it was like the Nets have no players. The Nets are decimated right now. Um, you you know, what's interesting, too, is to sort of thinking about your Jacques Vaughn thing about him giving people confidence or whatever. Um, his version of giving people confidence, well, I guess everyone's version is letting players just sort of do what they want to do. And you can kind of feel just the amount of long twos that are happening on this team right now is is not. That is not a uh, a, Kenny, a vestige of a Kenny Atkinson system who surely would have been, you know, towing the, towing the uh, analytics line at this point. Um, and so for those reasons, like maybe good to have Jacques Vaughn in there to let like Tyler Johnson do what he naturally does, even though like, that's not, I, I, we, the game has moved on past that strategy, uh, past that metagame. And my bigger concern is if Jacques Vaughn is one of those guys, that's a little bit of a science denier on that front. (laughs) That would be, that would be possible because, you know, the Spurs ecosystem is much more about, um, I think if I understand it well, it's not really about the system so much, at least not on the offensive side. That that system seems to be a lot about instilling the confidence, and that confidence for basketball players kind of comes from shooting mid-range jumpers. They feel very comfortable shooting mid-range jumpers. That's a thing that Tyler Johnson wants to do. Um, and I don't know if that is tenable. I think you're seeing that that's not like the way of the future for the Spurs at the moment, you know, like there's been a reckoning league wide for that particular approach. Um, so yeah, so my line of thinking about it is I think it's great for right now that Jacques Vaughn is doing this, giving Tyler Johnson his moment to just do whatever he wants to do. Just be elevate your value as much as you, as much as humanly possible. But 
uh, it does not look good for his for Jacques Vaughn's future if he can't sort of adapt a little bit of a real cohesive strategy in there. You know what I mean? Well, it, it, the Nets offense in the bubble is kind of like the way when I go on a road trip and my son, my two-year-old son is in the car with me and my wife and I will bring the iPad. We will position it behind the headrest of her seat and he will watch eight hours of Paw Patrol. And I know Me too. I'm right there with him. Paw right Patrol there. is the mid-range game of NBA. It's you, you know, it's not healthy. The, the show has no redeeming quality about it, really. I mean, it's basically a superhero Avengers show, but with dogs. I don't know if you're, like, digging into it Paw Patrol is. yet. It is that way. Yeah. That, I know that. It's very, very Blue Lives Matter, by the way. It's, is it? It's, <laughs> really? It's, I mean, the show's about, like, a cop dog and a firefighter okay. dog. and But anyways, so wow. not to go down that road. That's that's well, not the road well, we're walking. To, now, I've got to, now I've got to watch some Paw Patrol. <laughs> um, that's what I think. But it is... Um, eight hours of Paw Patrol, I know, is not healthy. It is not the best for long-term success for my son and my parenting. But I'm in a moment where we're trapped in a confined space. I just need – I what I need from my son is quiet and peace while we go on this eight-hour drive. Jacques Vaughn, what he needs out of Tyler Johnson is he needs – he just needs him to try to be as productive as he possibly can – and there's no way that Jacques Vaughn within eight games plus playoffs is going to be able to mold Tyler Johnson and be like, stop doing the thing that you were doing too much in Phoenix. You have to only shoot threes or get to the basket, which would be the best thing for Tyler Johnson. It would be best for my son not to watch eight hours of Paw Patrol. But in the moment, we're desperate. Beggars can't be choosers, Brian. And <laughs> Jacques Vaughn does not have the personnel. You don't want a, a screaming, crying Tyler Johnson on your hands. You don't want you that. Don't not want for that. the eight-hour <laughs> Give me your thoughts on Tyler Johnson's hair. Give me your can thoughts, I first, Brian. Can I first just say that that's, that was the strongest analogy you've ever come up with? That was that was <laughs> tremendous work. And I mean that authentically. Um, Tyler Johnson, I like that he's experimenting. I like that he's not afraid to go really get really neck, neck beardy. Um, <laughs> that neck beard phase was, that was impressive. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. What is his hair like now? He's just got kind of like a scum stash and a, and a poof on top. I love that? the scum stash yeah. and poof on top. It's way yeah. better than the cousin <laughs> Moe's, uh, neck beard look. I, and like I agree that it's better aesthetically speaking, but I think the neck beard shows so much gravitas. It's just the, the amount of Very swag lanky. you have to pull, <laughs> you have to have to pull off something that like objectively unattractive is that says something to me. I was thinking about, cause uh, my, my wife and I were talking about this earlier is, you know, what, how, if you were like a cool kid in high school or something, do you think you could have enough swag to pull off the rolling backpack? You know, <laughs> like that's that for me, when you're able to do something that's like that, obviously not cool. Right. Does that then elevate your coolness? Can you like, you'd have to be very cool to do that. I, I don't think there's, I don't even think LeBron James in high school at St. Vincent St. Mary's. <laughs> yeah. If he was rolling thing. in the in the hallways <laughs> with a rolly backpack, I think even him would have gotten shit from all of his friends at school. If you can withstand that though, you're like a supernova, you know? Like that's the that for me is the real you know, Le- that's the cane. That's the that's LeBron yeah. is is a rolly backpack kind of guy, if if we're gonna be honest. Like I could see oh, yeah. LeBron I mean, he's but he's authentically a rolly backpack, yeah. which is why you can't actually do the rolly backpack because you're not you're not cool enough to do it. 
it, it, I think the rolly backpack is a really good barometer for how much you can withstand the, you know, the onslaught of uh, being made fun of consistently. Social pressure. That's big. That's big. I don't know. I mean, the guys that were doing it, I mean, there were people that were doing rolly backpacks. In your high school have rolly backpacks? A, f- a friend? No, come on, please, Michael, a friend. No, I wouldn't, we wouldn't let that happen, but. And I'm just kidding. Not your friends uh, I mean, on the we, volleyball team. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, there wasn't that much. I mean, the thing is, I f- I'm aware of the rolly backpack, so I must have seen it. But I can't think of like off the top of my head a rolly backpack kid. You know. Yeah, I'm trying to think like what were like the biggest travesty that you could possibly have done in my high school. I, I mean, I can't even think of it. I mean, you know, besides like the really awful like bullying stuff that ha- that could have happened. I don't know. I, I, I really that you back- were at the center of that you were leading the way on. The well, I was, I was an absolute rebel. Everyone can see. <laughs> yeah. I was like James Dean in high school, Brian. Yeah. I, I see the way but, you rolled up one sleeve too. Was... <laughs> Shut up. But I was a rebel <laughs> there, with the cause, Brian. That was a pack me. of lucky. Is there a pack of lucky strikes in there? Is that what I'm... <laughs> Just popping. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, people um, would do dip in high school. That was a cool thing. People would play dice in high school. That was, Did a we, cool there was so much dipping in, in baseball, high school baseball. It was crazy. Insane. Anyways, we Have you go. ever done dip? Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I was on the team. So like the coaches would insist that you have, they'd be like, let me get a pinch. And if you didn't have it, you would you'd be publicly shamed if you didn't have it. <laughs> That's, that was the level of, it was endemic to the culture of high school baseball. The first time I did dip was at the Preakness and the Preakness is a horse race. Perfect. One of the triple Perfect. <laughs> And it was famous for, and this is seems so great. It feels like from another time, and it was, was the infield was open. You would buy, I don't even know if you have to buy a ticket, but you would maybe buy a $10 ticket and you were allowed to bring in whatever you wanted, meaning you could bring in a, a cooler full of vodka. You could it, unbottled vodka. You just have vodka swishing around in a cooler and you could just bring it in and drink it with a ladle and no one would say a word to you. <laughs> Wow, paradise. Um, Amazing. So after my cooler of vodka, I there was like, yeah, this is a good time to try put tobacco into my gums. Yeah, you barfed it, didn't barfed you? Barfed it. I barfed it like those kids on Sandlot. Yeah. You know, oh. The scene when yeah. they're... But the, uh, my stepdad's a dentist, so I've always known the travesties of dip. If you were to guess on average how many days people in the U.S. have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say? A week, maybe? Actually, on average, people have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities. Basically a month. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides the treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments, and you can cancel at any time. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com glue for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash glue for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. Anyways, Brooklyn Nets, Brian. How exciting. Really exciting. Um, are they gonna... What are we going to do for this game on Friday, Mike? <laughs> well, you tell me. 
we're going to, I got, I got, don't worry. I got off. I was telling Mike that we were trying to plan for this and we keep, yeah, it's, I keep having to miss this stuff. It's hard. Um, we'll talk, but we'll a, be there. We, it's a, we should stream it. Mike. Yeah. It's a two thirty tip. Um, I'm very excited. I think my thing, like I'm going to continue to be watching. So we, we didn't really talk about Jared Allen, but Jared Allen is, has been also exciting for me because it's the guy that I remember before DeAndre Jordan co-opted his role on the Brooklyn Nets. We both are DeAndre Jordan fans, but the thing is that Jared Allen's confidence, his own confidence, was shaken a little bit this year. He wasn't didn't feel as comfortable doing the things that he used to do on the floor. He very much just focused on the blocking shots and trying to play as good of defense as possible. Because, like, really, the Jared Allen that I know and love, there's a little savvy passing game that he can have. And there's a little bit more of, like, hey, if I'm in the post, I can get a pass, dribble for a second, and do a hook shot. And he kind of eliminated that from his game this season. Uh, Back in the bubble now, knowing that he's the only center, I've seen more confidence in him. Confidence is a big word. Um, And his trade value will inevitably rise if he has a really good final eight games and playoffs. The thing I'm going to continue to look for going forward is, I think you're right. Chris Chioza's, is he the starting point guard for your Brooklyn Nets, Brian? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Big time. <laughs> um, Although he's not bringing the ball up. I mean, I've, I've been seeing a lot of Karis Levert, which we haven't talked about Karis. But, what's your, um, what were your Karis thoughts? <clears throat> the Karis thought is that they're trying to make him point forward. Um, that seems very clear. Uh, he's bringing the ball up a lot. Um Gosh, what do I think about it though? Uh, it looks very familiar. I mean, like that's the thing. Like he's, it's, it's the, it's a lot of, it's perfect situation for Karis, right? Because he's getting all the usage and and he's eating it up, and it's looking very good for him. Uh, I haven't seen. He hasn't needed to, so he hasn't needed to change his game at all because now he's like option one A. So that that's how he likes to play, and that makes sense. But like, I was kind of hoping that I could see some of uh, some new playmaking instincts techniques things like that if they're going to be point forward i've I've noticed him putting defenders in jail earlier like up towards the foul line which is um good i mean it gives you a whole lot of different like avenues if you can keep that dude in jail longer and longer that's the d'angelo russell chris paul kind of method of playmaking which uh for his height and size and ball handling makes a lot of sense i haven't seen him really like pass out of that super well um it's often a little bit late and it'll be a dump to Jared Allen or someone that's like just not super duper finessed in there. Um, it's more of like a, an escape valve, like, you know, pulling, you're breaking the glass and dumping it off to Jared Allen. Um, so like maybe that stuff will come along. I'm hoping it does, but really, I mean like the thing is he's still very much positioning himself to be the kind of ball handler that we don't need next season. So that's where <laughs> I'm, I'm concerned about this, for Karis Levert, this particular strategy, we it's it's tempting because we do need it from him right now, but it's also not the thing that we're going to need going forward. So it's a weird spot to be in. It's just tough. Yeah, and and my thing about I, I so I'm not that upset that Torian Prince isn't playing because I feel like I know who Torian Prince is, and he's not a kind of guy who okay if he plays eight really great games in the bubble, that's not going to increase his trade value. I think the the book on Torian from this past season has been written. And maybe next year, you know, he would he's going to be a bench wing for the team. He's an overqualified bench wing. He's not truly great enough to be a playoff starter uh, in my mind. But I think Levert is missing another really good shooter on the floor beyond Joe Harris. And Torian Prince 
statistically would have been that. And that would have really helped Karras because what ends up happening on offense is Karras has gotten better at shooting and he's gotten better at shooting off the bounce, but it's still clunky, still very clunk. Uh, I feel like his, he like pushes his arms like straight out like he's Michael Phelps swimming. And there's not like the beautiful Clay Thompson, just like perfect arc on his shots. It's just like like straight at it as a dart. Um, but if Karras was doing the Karras point forward thing and you had Joe Harris and Torian Prince on the wings, and then you could even have Chris Chioza doing the three seconds I'm a point guard, the other 24 I'm standing somewhere else <laughs> uh, move. And then Jared Allen, like that's a reasonably spaced floor. But what he's going to – he's mostly, I feel like – well, and we I don't know how we could really figure this out, but I don't know, like, what is going to be the most played lineup the Nets are going to have in the bubble. Like, I guess – I guess – so Joe Harris, Carousel Verne, Jared Allen are the three guys who are definitely playing the most. But then, like, is it, like, Chris Chioza and Jamal Crawford? And then, like, I, I, I have no clue. I have no sense of – what Jock Vaughn is going to lean on. If it's like chosen Jamal Crawford, that means he's going full offense and he's trying to play. He's just trying to score as much as he can. But then if you, you know, sub out Chioza or sub out Jamal Crawford for Tyler Johnson or, you, I mean, Garrett Temple is going to get a lot of minutes, but, and he's kind of like in between, he's not bad on offense. He's not bad on defense, but he's not exemplary on either of those two ends. I just wonder what the most the, the best lineup is going to be for this team, and that's partly due to like what's best for Karras. I actually think what would be best for Karras is like so a space floor is like yeah you need that for sure. Um, but he is missing, and we are missing for that kind of pairing, like a really elite rim runner, like a per like if Kurucs could figure out how to be like t- super great timing at when to uh, run to the rim and and uh, and because here's the thing with Karras, like he is a good enough playmaker to uh, make things happen near the rim. But I don't think he has like the eyes in the back of the head necessary to like kick things out to uh, shooters that are like behind him at the top of the arc uh, coming from like straight on. He can find corner threes reasonably well, but he doesn't have that like full 360 range of vision. Um, so like having a, like as part of the escape valve that I was talking about, if it, instead of like Jared Allen, who himself kind of struggles with timing he's at times well he was actually really good at timing with certain players with like d'angelo russell again he he had like a particularly good kind of chemistry um with that in jail uh, offensive aesthetic whatever um but if he had like and maybe even someone like more athletic than kirk's but kirk has good hands if he could figure out how to like uh reliably uh take his his big man defender out so that he doesn't collapse on carousel when he's trying to do that and then like you know do backdoor cuts all day i think that really works um, it's just about finding that like kind of nice that mix because Levert uh, does struggle with with uh, like truly operating the offense from those positions. I think. Yeah, and and like so, la- I go back to last year in the playoffs when they went to the Sixers. The best player in the playoffs for the Nets was Karis Levert, but he did have D'Angelo Russell with him, and D'Lo wasn't like all that great in the playoffs. But Levert doesn't have a D'Angelo Russell this this bubble. Like he he. It's going to be all on him. And as you talked about, the thing we don't truly need to know is what Karis Levert can do by himself. We need to know what he can do with like another pretty good ball handler. Now, I've talked about this before. I think there's could have been one theory of why the Nets signed Jamal Crawford to Michael Beasley is that Jamal Crawford's usage and Beasley's usage are like bad versions of 
Duran and Kyrie. And I, I think it will be helpful to see ball-consuming Jamal Crawford next to Karis LeVert. Can he? Can LeVert kind of play off of that a little bit? Where And you know what's funny? I just described the player that LeVert kind of needs to be. Sorry to interrupt you, no, but please. I was just thinking, like, like Karis LeVert does need to be that rim runner that I just described. Like, that would be the best application yes. for him. Like, yeah. you, what you mean when KD and Kyrie are... Right, for next year. Yeah, like, the, the best version of LeVert next season is still, like... It's not set shot Levert. It's kind of creating a little havoc. Yeah, you're going to get the ball in your hands off of a bounce. Like Kyrie breaks down the defense a little bit, and then it goes to Levert, and Levert has to quickly react to that. And I love Levert's offensive game where it's hezies and, you know, it's like that mid range. It's actually the post game that Brooke Lopez used to have with the Nets, was like he posted up 15 feet from the basket, kind of. Levert's not posting up traditionally, but he's. Operating yeah, weird way. turnarounds from like eight feet now, which is something that like we haven't seen a ton of. But he, yeah, and that's true too because like if he's streaking stops on a dime, does one of his like weird little kind of off balance turnarounds that seem to be working for him, like that 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 works. That checks out for me. Yeah, the Nets are actually going to be very mid rangey next year because Durant, as he should, is probably the best mid range player in the NBA. Like if he wanted to be, and he does take shots in the range. Kyrie is still mostly actually threes and getting to the bucket but you know he's obviously a phenomenal shooter and Levert really does operate better from like seven to 12 feet like when he's in that little range and he can do his little like just little drop in shots and hezies and all that stuff like that that's when he's effective isn't it weird that like some players are better from uh from pull up three than from catch and shoot like that feels like such an interesting stat that like Joe Harris elite uh, catch and shoot, not great pull up. Levert, good pull up, not a great catch and shoot. Like it just feels funny that like just the way that you are getting the ball changes that so much. Yeah, and that it doesn't feel like like I guess it's like a practice thing, but it's also you know we all play basketball, right? You and I are professional basketball players. at elite at elite levels. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, you do feel there. It feels to, it's a different thing. It's like a totally different act to just be catch and shoot guy. Versus pull-up guy. It's just a totally different body function. <laughs> it's like swimming butterfly versus backstroke. And uh, there's another swimming analogy. Don't know why that's on my mind. Maybe because I'm watching Peacock. Oh, This isn't an ad, but I'm watching nope. Peacock, the streaming channel, and they have an Olympics channel. It's just like Olympic events from 20 years ago rolling in front of your face. It's a delight. It's your delight. Um, I think that's it for us today, Brian. Oh, my gosh. Wow, that was so abrupt. Um, you have to get back to your Olympics. Yeah. <laughs> I have to get back that to remi- I, That reminds me. Um, <laughs> that reminds me. I have to watch Christy Yamaguchi. Um, Brian, thank you so much for joining me. We are figuring out our plans for the bubble. We will Big plans. Big plans. We They're will share those plans when we have them. Um, ag- Via social media, most likely. And again, if you are still listening, go on to iTunes. Write us five stars if we want them. We need them. We have to have them. We will be doing mailbag sometime soon. Oh, yeah. We got some emails. We 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 see you guys. We're gonna get to them. Netspot at gmail.com. If you want to be a part of the party, uh, we will be getting to do some other fun stuff and maybe some interviews coming down the road, which I can't talk about yet, but could be exciting. Definitely will be exciting. Hey, thanks, Mike. <laughs>